and welcome to the Board Game Dojo Podcast. My name is Eric. Thank you so, so much for joining us today. We sincerely, sincerely thank you, whether it is your first episode, you listen to every episode, or somewhere in between, for taking just a little bit of your day to listen to our little podcast. Today, we are starting really our holiday gift-giving coverage. We've noticed that the calendar has flipped over to November. In fact, we are halfway through November, and a lot of you who are listening to the podcast are interested in importing games, and those importing of the games can take quite a while. So we do want to start just a little bit early. So we are going to cover three games for you today that we think might be interesting to you. We're going to start off with the memory party game, That's Not a Hat. We're going to go into one of the new pair of Iten Funbrick series games, Wonder Bowling. And then we are going to go into one of our most anticipated games from Essen, word drop. So we're covering three light games that are kind of party games to see just what you might be able to bring to the holidays. This is our monthly reminder that you can help us choose what games we cover, especially it might be important to you to see if you want us to cover a certain game you might be interested in importing for the holiday season by joining our coffee or Patreon. It starts at just a dollar a month, and we use all of that money to buy new games to help cover for you. So we take that money, we ask the, our Patreon and our coffee subscribers what games they want us to cover. We go out and we buy that game, and then we cover it for you. So you can help our little channel keep growing. We have been so thankful that so many of you have joined, are interacting with us, and are doing our giveaways. We've already started those giveaway processes, and we will keep announcing new games, the newest bundle we are going to give away. Yes, that's right. We are going to do a family game bundle as our next giveaway. You can join those giveaways by commenting on every one of our YouTube videos and Instagram posts and Twitter posts. You can also Follow us on YouTube and all of those places. Each one of those unique follows and comments is one additional entry into all of our giveaways from now until the new year. So just keep interacting with us. We've had a lot of fun with that. And now let's get into the games that you probably came here to listen about. The first game to talk about is a memory party style game called That's Not a Hat. That's Not a Hat has the central theme of gift giving. Hey, not a bad theme for this episode, right? In which each card has two sides of it. The face upside, which has a picture of the gift that you would be giving, and this can be anything from a birthday cake to an elephant to a rubber ducky. And the backside that has a directional arrow. The game will start with each player having the card face up in front of them that is the gift that they brought to this party. The game begins by the starting player drawing a card from the top of the draw pile and then showing everybody what that gift is, then putting it face down in front of them, and it now shows the directional arrow. They will pass that new gift to the player in that directional arrow, so if the directional arrow, let's say, is pointing left, and the new gift was a piano. So they'll give the card to the person on the left and say, hey, this is a nice piano. That person who receives it can either say thank you, which means that they are accepting the gift, or say the titular, that is not a, and then, you know, in this case, a piano. So they could say that's not a piano. But they're not going to say that in this case because they already know that that's a piano. Now, it'll be their turn. So they'll say thank you. Now, it would be very rude to re-gift the gift that they just received. So in this game, you always have to give the gift that is the older of the two cards in front of you. So in this case, they'll take the card that is right now face up, they will flip that face down, and then they will pass that card to the person in that directional arrow. So let's say that they flip over their old card, and you know it says 
go to the left. So then they pass that to the left and they say, this is a nice whatever that might be. Now this will, at the beginning of the game, go on for a little bit, but soon enough, all of those cards will be face down and be passed around in both directions. Some going to the right, some going to the left, and you're definitely going to lose track of it. And this will keep going until somebody says, that's not a whatever that might be. So let's say that's not a rubber duck. They will then flip that card over to the face upside, and if they were right, that was indeed not a rubber duck, then the player who gave it to them will take it as a penalty card. If it was indeed what the gift giver said it was, then the person who said it wasn't, well, that's not very nice, they will take it as a penalty card instead. Whoever took the penalty card will then draw the new card from the top of the deck showing everybody, and then it will play again. This will keep going until somebody takes three total penalty cards, and then the game is over. That person will lose, and the person who has the least amount of penalty cards wins. Now, I am leaving out quite an important detail, which is that you actually don't have to be right about whatever gift you're giving to somebody. You can absolutely bluff. And that is where we get into the review of this game, because this game doesn't want to be played as a memory game, and it shouldn't be played as a memory game. When I first introduced this game to people, they really have two reactions to after the rules are being done being explained, which is one, well, that's not a hat, that's not a game. It doesn't really sound like a game, and then they soon find out that it very, very quickly is. But the second thing is that hesitancy of, well, I don't really like playing a memory game, I don't really have a good memory, things like that. But everything about this package tells you that the designer, Casper Lab, of this game doesn't want this to be seen as a memory game. It is more a bluffing game that has the mechanic of the memory element to it. Whether it be just how much it is written all over the box, in the rule book, the very minimalistic art style that is reminiscent of like a diary of a wimpy kid style of art or etch-a-sketch style of art, everywhere it says, hey, the fun of this game is not in having a good memory, the fun of this game is in making fun of people's bad memory. And that's really the key. You need to go into this, buying into the idea that this game is not in showing off how good your memory is, but in just acting like your memory is good. Now, this does change a little bit based on the player count that you are playing it at. The smaller player counts, it is much easier to remember where certain cards are and have a better guess as to where things are. So there is a bit more of a memory component to it, but the more players you add to it, the more inevitable it is that you and everybody else at the table absolutely does not remember where every single card on the table is. And it becomes a much more acting style game of you need to just act like you are confident and you definitely 100% remember where these cards are. You know absolutely what is in front of you. Why would you even question my memory? And then you will inevitably be past it and somebody will call you out on it. And because they don't actually have to be right on what it is, they just have to be right that that is not what it is. Then everybody kind of has that laughter moment and then you move on. And that's kind of an interesting thing about this game is that a lot of the laughter that it actually evokes is not really a hearty har har 
laugh. It's not like somebody made a joke and then people laughed. It's that nervous laughter. It's that thing of like, whew, I'm glad that they got penalized and not me because I have no idea what that card was. I had no idea what that was. And I don't even know what's in front of me, but nobody's called out me yet. So whew, I'm safe for a little while longer. And if that sounds like something that you would enjoy, if that sounds like something your group would enjoy, I really do think that this game is a really good one. I've had lots of success with it. In fact, uh, one of the people that I played it with, um, in I mentioned her in my Stereo Minds review that we have posted on our YouTube channel, that one of Sumachan's friends started off introducing herself that she doesn't like board games. Like when I said, hey, I like board games. She's like, no, I absolutely don't like board games. And then she proceeded to recommend that she wanted to play a couple board games with us. So I introduced That's Not a Hat to her later and she really, really enjoyed it. She just kept wanting to play over and over again, which shows the different settings that this game can be played in. It can be played with people who are hobbyist gamers. It can be played at the pub in a casual setting. It can be played with people who aren't really into board games because the rules are, you know, it doesn't make sense at first, but then you start playing it and it's like, oh, actually this is really a game and there is like stuff going on here. And oh my goodness, now I can't even remember what's going on here. So if you're looking for a game like that, I really do think you are going to enjoy this one. I think we are going to be talking about it more as our holiday coverage ramps up. And that is That's Not a Hat, designed by Casper Lapp and published by Ravensburger. The next game we're going to cover is Wonder Bowling, one of the two new games in the Ethan Funbrick series. Now, something to know about the Funbrick series is that these games all come in a kind of box inside of a box. They're a very small, long box, and then you tend to take the box that's inside the outside box out, and then that's where you get all the components. Now, I mention that because that box inside of the box is actually the game board for this game. You will flip that board over and you will see a bowling alley and then inside of the box you have like 10 pins and this kind of, I don't even know what to call it, like a wand thing that has a big ball on one side and a small ball on the other side. You'll start off by setting up the pins and you can set them up however you want as long as they're not touching each other so it doesn't actually have to be in the bowling pin arrangement. And then each player will get four tokens, two that are target tokens and two that are strike tokens. Now, strikes in this game are actually if you knock over all of the pins except for one. And you will be doing this by smacking the box with the wand I mentioned earlier that has the big ball on one side and the small ball on the other side. Now, you are going to be doing this for not only trying to knock down all the pins but one, that's a strike, but also because you will have different number target tokens in front of you as well. And it might say four or five. Now, this is not how many pins to knock down. It's how many pins you want to be left standing after you smack the box. So... It is a little bit of a change in thinking from what you might think for bowling. Another change in thinking is that when a player is done, you actually don't reset the pins. You keep going until either somebody gets a strike, which is just leaving one pin standing. So there might only be four pins standing and somebody knocks down three of them. So, hey, that's a strike because you smacked the box and only one pin was left standing. Or somebody knocks down all of the pins, in which case that's actually a penalty. And I'll get to penalties in just a little bit. But one such win condition is if somebody gets all of their target tokens and strike tokens completed, then they win the game. 
But the other one is if survival mode, and that comes with penalties. Penalties occur when somebody either touches the pins, smacks the box, and no pins fall down, or they knock down all of the pins. If a penalty occurs, then the player who committed the penalty draws an additional target token from the box that was not handed out at the beginning of the game. These penalty tokens are just the same as any other target tokens, it's just more that you have to complete in order to get the first win condition. But more often than not, you will actually probably have the win condition, which is the second one, which is survival mode. If all of the target tokens are taken from the box, the game turns into survival mode, which is that if a player commits a penalty, they are eliminated, and it is the last person standing that wins, instead of the person that got all of their target tokens completed. Once you have a winner, the game is over. And that is how you play Wonder Bowling. I hope it makes sense. It basically boils down to get a strike, which is knock down all of the pins remaining, except for one or try to get one of your target tokens. That's basically what it boils down to. But it's just a little bit of like, need to explain that like, hey, you know, you don't stop after each player and reset the pins. Like you just keep going until somebody knocks over all of them or somebody gets a strike. But it's actually pretty straightforward for the most part. Now, I think Eaton has really done a great job of differentiating themselves from the other big Japanese game publishers. Even if you take a look at the Essen booth, which was Sashi and Sashi, Oink and Eaton. And I do think that those are kind of the three Japanese game publishers that people now know. They really have differentiated themselves so much from the other two, because where I think the other two much more often go for more traditional mechanics. Eaton is more going for experiences that you have and unique experiences that you might not have otherwise had anywhere else in board gaming. They really bring a toy factor into board games. And if reviews are correct, what they've actually done with this game is taken a game that came out a decade ago and revised the rules to it. They totally revamped it into a new game. So originally, this was a game that was a one-coin game, which is kind of like these kind of $3 games. They were made very, very cheaply, but essentially it kind of had the same skeleton to it, which is you would set the pins up on a box, you took a wand, you smacked the box, and you tried to knock the pins over except for one. And then Eaton kind of now redid it revamped the rules, updated it, updated the components and everything to try to make the game a better game. And this is not the first time they've done it. They did that with Stick Collection. They did it with Nuts of Gogo, which we have our video review up on our YouTube if you're interested in that one. And I think they've done a really good job of it here. It's frustrating at first, I'm not gonna lie. The first game, the second game of this, I just wanted to throw this box across the room. I just could not figure out how on earth you were going to do this? How on earth are you telling me that I have 10 pins standing up, but I need to hit it so that only seven are standing? How am I just going to knock down three? But it's also weird how good you can get in a hurry. Yes, maybe I can't knock down exactly three, but I can knock down maybe one or two and hope that the other players don't knock down all of them because, you know, that is one way to do it is you say, okay, I need, I have a target, let's say, of five. And maybe I don't feel confident in my ability to knock over five right at the beginning. So maybe I'll knock down one or two. And the next player is trying to get their target, which is like six. So they're going to try to knock down one or two. And then the next person tries to knock down one or two. And then you end up with like, okay, now I, on my turn, there's like six pins left standing because we just are consecutively doing this. And I only need to knock down one again. That's a lot easier. 
but it's also weird how good you get at actually getting strikes. But it's not like you're good, good, because you are going to mess up a lot more often than you're going to get it right. But that is kind of the fun of it. There really are multiple ways to have fun while bowling. You know, one of those ways is if everybody is good at bowling, then you can have fun in a competition. But it's equally as fun when everybody is bad and you can laugh at the gutter balls. And Wonder Bowling takes that latter feeling and really emphasizes it because this game is really an enjoyable thing when everybody is terrible. And then you're going to kind of slowly get better at it, but you're not quite going to get out of that hole of being really bad at it. And I think that that feeling of how I felt with Wonder Bowling really encapsulates how I feel about the Ethan Thunbrick series as a whole, which is that I had an enjoyable time playing it for a little while. And now I'm kind of ready to move on to it. It was a unique experience. It was a fun experience. But I think I'm kind of done with it. And that's kind of how I've been with the Fun Brick series as a whole. Most of them, I, I think that Wonder Bowling is definitely in the upper tier of the Fun Brick series. I really do think that. But it's weird how I, with a lot of Ethan's latest releases and Fun Brick series, I'm kind of like, I will play it for a couple times with my group. We will enjoy it. We'll get a little bit better at it. And then we're kind of done with it. And you know what? There is that kind of room for that. And I think that that is why I really wanted to put this when we're starting to talk about the holiday gift giving season. And it's something I brought up again in the Nuts of Go Go video that is on YouTube, which is Ethan has done a great job of making games that bring unique experiences to people who probably have never done any of that before. I mean, how many times have you smacked the box to knock over pins before? Like probably not often, right? And so these Fun Brick series games are a great gift, in my opinion, because I don't know how often I would recommend you go out and buy one for your collection, especially like if you're looking for you, but I cannot recommend the Fun Brick series enough if you're looking to buy a gift for someone else. You go online, there's now 10 of them, and you go, okay, you know, does this sound unique and interesting to the person that I'm giving it to? You know, do are they interested in balancing things on a seesaw? Are they interested in a speed game in which they're ninjas? Are they interested in knocking some pins over on the back of a box? Are they are these unique experiences that I think are really good to say, hey, I'm going to give this to my friend in the game group. We're going to play it, you know, maybe, I don't know, three or four times, and then we're going to be okay passing it on. They're not ridiculously expensive or anything like that. They do come in on the more cheaper side for a Japanese game. And so I think that that's just kind of where I fall in that Wonder Bowling thing. It's hard to recommend it by itself to people because uh, it's it's this thing that we, we go back and forth on like, is the price worth it? Because it does come in at around like 30 US dollars, right? Like, is it worth it for a game that we think is fun, but people are probably going to only play like three or four times before they move it on? But if you said, hey, do you recommend I go in and buy like two of these games for a Secret Santa thing? Then I'd be like, yes, absolutely. This is a great idea for that. So yeah, Wonder Bowling, definitely in the higher end of the Fun Brick series, probably like third or fourth, probably. I'm going to definitely figure that out because we're going to do a tier video of the best of the Fun Brick series in time for the holiday so you know which ones are the best of the best. But it's definitely going to be in that top half. 
and that is Wonder Bowling, designed by Susumu Kawasaki. The art is by Yoshiaki Tomioka, and it's published by Iten. Finally, it is time to talk about another party game, this time one that we were really anticipating coming out of Essen, and that is Word Drop. Word Drop is super simple to explain. You have two teams, the guessing team and the secret word team. The secret word team will take a card that has eight words on it and they will just see it to themselves and on the draw pile the next card in line will have a number on the back of it so let's say that the number on the back of it is three that means that on that secret word card they will choose the third word now then use two ways to play it you can either have the guessing team choose a theme or you can choose one of the theme cards in the box that theme will be the conversation that the secret word team will be having in which somewhere in that conversation they need to say the secret word that was on that card. They will start the three-minute timer, and they will all start talking to each other. And then at the end of the three-minute timer, the guessing team has three chances to guess what that secret word was. If they were right, then they get the point. If they were wrong all three times, then the secret word team gets the point. And that's how you play word drop. It's very, very straightforward. Now, one of the things we said in the essay and anticipation video was that we kind of saw it as maybe it was going to be like Insider is either going to really work or really not. And although it doesn't really match in that way, it actually is pretty apt because I do feel like if for your group Insider worked, Word Drop is going to work. If Insider did not work for your group, Word Drop is definitely not going to work for your group. Now, don't worry if you have never played Insider. Basically, it comes down to the fact that both of these games are all about really disguising something that you already know. In this game, in Word Drop, you are really trying to steer the conversation in a direction without making it obvious that you were steering the conversation in that direction because then the other team is really going to start paying attention to what you're saying. So, for example, if the secret word is broccoli, and the theme is, what are you going to do tomorrow? If you start saying, you know, I need to go grocery shopping and buy some broccoli, then they're going to be like, okay, hold on. I think your secret word was definitely broccoli. But at the same time, in the rule book, it does say that you cannot list things. So if your secret word is broccoli, you can't be like, oh, I need to get some vegetables like broccoli and mushrooms, or I need to go to the grocery store and buy chicken, broccoli, and mushrooms. Like, you can't do that. So it is this way of having to figure out in a short span of time, how on earth you are going to disguise this word somehow with the theme and make it sound natural. And that was the weird thing about this game is we actually thought coming into the game that it was going to be much easier for the secret word team to hide the word. Because, I mean, you're talking for three minutes. You, there's so much you could be talking about. There's so many words that you could be including, right? But actually, it is so much easier as the guessing team. So the actual learning curve, the actually, like, the way of getting better at it is my getting better at disguising that word. Now, this is related to really the biggest negative that we saw with the game, which is that sometimes there is just no good way. There's like just, it seems like there is no possible way to hide this secret word that has absolutely nothing to do with the theme and get that in conversation. Because there are these range of difficulties and it doesn't like show it on the card. It's not like there's easy cards, medium cards, and hard cards. They're all mixed together and you can definitely see what they want to do. They want you to get better at the game. And so some of these cards are just really, really hard. So one of those words might be like ceiling fan. And then the theme of the card will be, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's like, uh, when I grow up, I want to be a ceiling fan. Uh... 
electrician. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I want to be an electrician so I can fix ceiling fans. And it's just, it's really, really hard. And but at the same time, I can't even just say that and like even into the microphone when I'm out of the side of the game and not just like chuckle at it. And that is really the headspace that I think you need to be in. It's the same headspace that you're in for insider of, you know, you're going to have some rounds that are better than others, but when it hits, it really does hit. We played this one with a couple of different player counts and it really does work. It works with a big group. It works with a small group. Now, I don't think it's going to have the lasting impact that something like insider did, but, and maybe I'm being a bit unfair constantly comparing the two, but I do feel like the feeling you have when playing the game is similar. And that makes it so that if maybe your group liked Insider or Rare Words and just kind of got tired of it after a little while, this might renew your interest in this because it does feel very, very similar in feeling to it, while also making that kind of traitor feeling and having to you know, guard the secret information, it puts it to multiple people. So it's a little bit less pressure as well. Now, this is always kind of the the part where I am always like, I don't know, you know, if it's unfair of me to say or whatever, but this is definitely one of those games that are easily proxyable with other games. I mean, if you have any game that has word cards on it, you could basically play Word Drop. Now, you're not going to get the theme cards that are in this box, and we do play with theme cards, but, and I'll get to that in a moment. But if you are not quite sure if this is going to hit for your group or not, you could always play it with insider cards or where words cards or monikers cards, whatever you might have, and just, you know, pick a card and pick a word and then you're off and running. And you can play it with the way that the guessing team picks the theme for that round. So yeah, you, there, that's a way you could do it. See if it works for your group. And if it does, then go support the publisher, Jelly Jelly Games. You can easily buy it on Amazon Japan. It is a really cheap box, actually. It comes out around like $13 or so for the box. So it's not too much at all. It's probably going to come in at around $25 with import fees. So not a bad gift to maybe bring for the holidays. And that is Word Drop, designed by Chihata Junya. The art is by Sai Beppu. And the publisher is Jelly Jelly Games. Well, thank you so much for listening today. Just a reminder that by following us and commenting on each YouTube video and Instagram post and Twitter post, whatever we might have, is each a unique entry into our giveaways from now until the new year. So keep on interacting with us. We've had so much fun with that. Thank you so much for listening today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time, janne. Bye.